We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You are listening to Rotoviz Radio, a fantasy football podcast, with your host, Matthew Friedman. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Freeman, Matt F. the Oracle of the Action Network and Rotoviz. Welcome to a special edition of Rotoviz Radio. Today we are talking about the Arizona Cardinals. In between the NFL Combine and the draft, I'm interviewing beat reporters for every franchise 32 teams, 32 beat writers, and 32 episodes. We're covering team needs, free agency, draft rumors, basically everything between now and day one of the draft. For this episode, I am joined by Seth Cox, the managing editor of Revenge of the Birds, the SB Nation blog for the Cardinals. In this episode, he talks with us about the Cardinals quarterback situation for 2018, the offensive changes we should expect to see under head coach Steve Wilkes and offensive coordinator Mike McCoy, and the team's future at the skill positions. Before we get to the guest, I'd like to remind you that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage at rotaviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of the premium NFL content on the site, and it supports the pod. All right, let's get to the guest. Please welcome to the show Seth Cox of Revenge of the Birds. You can follow him on Twitter at SCoxFB. Seth, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Oh, thanks for having me on, Matt. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's a great time of year. Uh, we are recording this on April 12th, Thursday, so we are just two weeks away from the first day of the draft. Uh, so a very exciting time of year. There's been a lot of movement, uh, off-season movement, with the Cardinals. Carson Palmer has retired. The team signed Sam Bradford. Also, Mike Glennon as the backup. Uh, the big question is, 
is the team done adding to its group of quarterbacks? Do they think that Bradford is going to be potentially uh, the long-term guy for them, or they may be looking in the draft? Uh, I think they want to find somebody in the draft. The question really becomes uh, what they're going to be willing to pay and who they like. Um, you know, they they signed Bradford to basically two one-year deals, um, the way his contract works out. And then Glennon is on technically a four-year deal, but it, it basically is like that Nick Foles contract where it, where it kills itself after two years and then he's a free agent again. So re- realistically, they, they have their quarterback and backup for 2018, and they have nothing on the books for 2019 or sorry, for 2020, uh, and, and there's a spot to be a starter in 2019. So when you look at it from that perspective, you would think that they're still going to be uh, looking in the draft. It's just something that we've seen with Steve Kime over his five years here. It has to be at the right cost. It has to be at his cost. Um, he hasn't been willing to pay that quarterback tax in the draft thus far, and he wants the guy to fall to him as opposed to uh, making a move to go up and get a guy. So so we'll see because uh, the rumors around here are that they really like Josh Allen, but you know th- that's combating rumors that he's going first overall at this point. So who, who knows if uh, he's even really on the table. And then from there, it it's, you know, depends on who you ask, whether or not they like a Josh Rosen or a Baker Mayfield or a Lamar Jackson. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that turns out come draft day. Now, uh, obviously, another big move for the team has been the departure of former head coach Bruce Arians, Steve Wilkes, in his first year with the team as the head coach. What do you think we can expect to see out of the organization with him at the top? I think the biggest thing is they're going to try and um, get away, unfortunately for the fans, from the Arians offense, which was an aerial show. And they're going to get back or try to start utilizing David Johnson more as a traditional running back in a sense. I mean, obviously he's still going to catch a tremendous amount of passes, but moreover, they want to, they want to establish a dominant run game. Um, I think you saw some of that with their offensive line acquisitions. Uh, Justin Pugh and Andre Smith are both notoriously better run blockers than they are pass blockers. Uh, Pugh is a good all around offensive lineman, but when you look at Andre Smith, he's been, you know, he's been mostly a run blocker at this point. Um, and then they want to be a team on defense that forces turnovers and is able to get the ball into the hands of their quarterback on a short field. That is one of the reasons I think that they sought Bradford after they kind of went after the top two quarterbacks on the, on the market and Kirk Cousins and Drew Brees and then obviously struck out with those guys because Bradford's a guy that everybody knows takes care of the ball he's he's highly conservative um and i think that plays into what steve wilkes wants to do in on offense under mike mccoy which is run the ball um protect the ball control the clock and and play good defense it's going to be a departure from you know the bruce arians uh six shooter offense and and now we're going to see a lot more uh conservative play calling and a guy or, you know, guys that are trying to win with defense and field position. It sounds almost like they want to become, uh, hopefully with Bradford, a better version of the Jacksonville Jaguars, just in terms of the way that organizationally they want to uh, play football. 
Yeah, I think I think the model that they like is what you saw early with um, Teddy Bridgewater in, in Minnesota, uh, and then and then like you said, this this Jacksonville team that their identity is their defense and their running game, and they're you know, and and Sam Bradford, like I said, for all his injury faults, if he is on the field, and and that is obviously the you know $20 million question is if he's on the field. But if he's on the field, for his career, that is exactly what he's been, is a guy that takes care of the football. Uh, I, you know, I, I've joked about it quite a bit, but his career interception percentage is lower than Carson Palmer's lowest full seasons uh, career interception percentage. So he's literally the polar opposite of Carson Palmer. He's not going to take chances with the ball. He's going to be conservative. He's going to protect the ball and try and get his team in a position uh, to win games without having to force it. And so if that is what they want to do, again, you obviously are very concerned about him even being on the field for 16 games, but uh, if that's what they want to do, there's not a lot of better options out there than, than Sam Bradford. You mentioned that the team wants to be more of a running-focused team uh, in highlighting David Johnson, which makes sense. Where is he in his progression uh, returning from the injury? And then the the team is fairly thin behind him on the depth chart. Are they looking, do you think, for another running back in the draft? You know, he's uh, he's back practicing in whatever it is right now. I don't know if these are voluntary camps or uh, what exactly the technical term is, but he's 100% and he's back uh, participating, which is, you know, really important for the team because, like you said, if if you're going to rely on him to be a a three-down back and and be a workhorse, um, then he needs to start that, not not necessarily in August, but in April and May where – he's getting some camaraderie with, with his new teammates because it is going to be basically eight new starters on offense. So um, uh, for, as far as running back depth, they haven't made any moves in the offseason. And I think that there's a twofold reason. One, I think they're going to look in a, in a running back draft that uh, I think everybody would agree is, is pretty deep. Uh, they, they want to try to find a guy that can – obviously mimic what David Johnson does, uh, but it's going to be, at, again, at the right cost. You're not going to want to see them take a, you know, even even if a guy like Saquon Barkley fell to 15 for some reason, they, they can't in, afford to invest their 15th overall pick in Saquon Barkley. But if a guy like Rashad Penny finds himself at pick 97, you know, kind of at the end of the third round or for whatever reason, a Nick Chubb because the knee falls really deep into the third round. You could see the Cardinals making played there. Uh, but they also like T.J. Logan, the rookie out of North Carolina that they weren't able to use at all last year because he dislocated his wrist in the first preseason game. Um, it, it was kind of ironic that both their running backs were gone for the season because of a dislocated wrist. Uh, and, and so they had to go with you know guys like Kerwin Williams, Elijah Penny. Obviously, they traded for Adrian Peterson, but he couldn't hold up. So I think that right now they're they've monitored the market. They, they haven't found anybody they're really interested in, um, and and they'll you know head into the draft with that that thought process. You know, looking at David Johnson, he's in the last year of his contract, uh, and certainly this has to be something on the horizon for the team. I'm assuming that they will want to re-sign him. The question is, at what cost? 
do you have any sense of how that is going to unfold? They, they do want to resign him. They've, you know, the the subject has been um, broached, but it is one of those things where I think, you know, they're all kind of everybody's kind of waiting to see how the the running back market plays out. Um, I don't want to say that this is going to end up being another Le'Veon Bell situation, but there are some factors at play that mimic the Le'Veon Bell situation. Clearly, his workload in his second season. Um, then you have his third season, the inability to stay healthy. Again, it was kind of a freak dislocated wrist thing. It's not something that you would think you have to worry about moving forward. But then the other thing is he's also going to be, uh, I believe 28 this year. I, I, it might be 27, but I think it might be 28. And so you're getting to that spot where are you really going to want to give a, a, you know, nearly 30 year old running back, a, a, a four year, you know, kind of. $50 million contract in a market where that's just not, that's just not done. And so we'll see how that plays out. I I'm hoping they're able to get something done that benefits both sides, you know, maybe a, a four year, $45 million deal with the first two years kind of big up front and, and good guaranteed money. And then he, um, you know, he's an easier cut as he gets to that, that age 30. But um, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw him on a franchise tag next year because of that. Uh, like I said, similar to the Le'Veon Bell situation where, you know, usage plus injuries plus age all kind of play a factor into how how much and how long you want to pay a guy for. So with the team shifting to more of a running-focused offense, the wide receivers aren't quite as important. I mean, still important to the team, but not the emphasis that they were under the Arian system, uh, which seems as if it's a good thing because behind Larry Fitzgerald, um, there's a lot of unproven potential. Uh, J.J. Nelson, the addition of Bryce Butler, Chad Williams. What do you think of this wide receiving unit as it is currently constituted? I think they have a really good receiver that is 34 years old um, and then I think they have a bunch of guys that look like NFL wide receiver threes or fours uh, you know from, from your guys's perspective at, at Rotoviz, you, you look at a guy like JJ Nelson and you know he's he's probably not a bad wide receiver three and in fact he's probably a great wide receiver four but when he comes into the kind of tra- off season as your as your wide receiver two that would uh, that would be a big red flag for a positional group. But on, on the flip side, if they are going to go to more of a run-based offense, if they're going to take calculated shots down the field, um, you know, Larry Fitzgerald's still probably the the most sure-handed receiver in the NFL, uh, and and he's still a guy that even though he's a glorified tight end at this point, he is great at it. He's going to be able to continue to put up, you know really big numbers, if not unspectacular numbers, where you're seeing him over, you know, 100 catches for over 1,000 yards. The question becomes, can they identify and find a guy uh, that can take the pressure off Fitz for any imaginable reason? And, you know, right now the options are Nelson, who we've seen, like I said, he's probably at best used as a wide receiver three, uh, more likely a kind of a deep threat wide receiver four. You have Bryce Butler, who is, you know, the opposite of, of Nelson in terms of size, but for the Dallas Cowboys was the same player. Um, and then you have last year's third-round pick, Chad Williams, who the Cardinals like, 
But again, this was an Arians wide receiver. This is a guy that uh, kind of matched the Air- Bruce Arians wide receiver profile, which was, you know, six foot or under and, and a sub four, four guy. And now all of a sudden he's coming into Mike McCoy's offense. He's coming in to a new head coach and Steve Wilkes. And, and so we'll see how that works out for everything. Um, the thing we know about Chad Williams is he's fantastic with the ball in his hands. So it's going to be more about how do they find a way to get the ball in his hands than anything else. Um, this wide receiver group, and that's why you see a lot of you know mock drafts with them taking a Calvin Ridley at, at 15 or uh, the last two days on ESPN. They you know Mel Kiper and Todd McShay have done their three round mock drafts, and both of them gave the Cardinals Cortland Sutton at 47. So all you're going to continue to see that. And, and quite frankly, I wouldn't be shocked if those are not some options uh, come draft day. Again, if, if a quarterback is not available. So you, you think that sounds fairly realistic in terms of the team, uh, maybe even with its first round pick looking for a wide receiver. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's going to be interesting because we know what Bruce Arians valued in wide receivers um, and, and one of those things was he felt like he can get a wide receiver in round three or round four that could put up similar numbers to the guys that are drafted in round one and two. Uh, now we have Steve Wilkes, who's, uh, you know, obviously a defensive guy. And then you have Mike McCoy, who's a guy who's had success with uh, a different type of wide receiver everywhere he's been. And so, you know, he's had, he's had a Demarius Thomas and Eric Decker in, in Denver, uh, he had one year with Emmanuel Sanders. Then, of course, he went to to San Diego and, and now L.A. Uh, with Keenan Allen and and guys there. So, what does he get out of uh, out of the guys on the roster? But then the other question is, what is what is Mike McCoy like uh, and identify as as important to a wide receiver? And honestly, we just don't know yet because it's a new regime and we only have kind of the the Bruce Arians criteria right now. So. You know, you wonder if a guy like Ridley falls to 15, if he's in play. Um, the the question I've had is that how different are players from Calvin Ridley down to like a Michael, Michael Gallup who's being projected to go in the third round. And so, but I think, I think with the depth of this wide receiver class, you're going to see the Cardinals uh, nab one on the first two days and, and hope that they can make a bigger impact than we've seen um, in their first year from from most of their wide receiver selections. Uh, for years, the tight end position has uh, seemingly been fairly insignificant uh, for the offense. Do you think that is going to be the case moving forward? I think it has to be right now because there are two tight ends on the roster, or Ricky Seals-Jones, who's a nice flex matchup tight end, uh, and then a guy they just signed in Bryce Williams, who I think was in training camp with the New England Patriots two years ago. So um, Jermaine Gresham's still on the roster, but he ruptured his Achilles in the last game of the season. Uh, it's up in the air whether or not he even plays in 2018. Uh, if he does, he'll start the season on the pup list. And and so at that point, you figure that either they're going to have to overcommit, which is you know drafting a guy – um, like Dallas Godare or Hayden Hurst at 15, which is way too rich, in my opinion. Or then they're going to have to find a guy that is maybe not the same two-way player that those guys are. You know, you have a Mike Isecki at 47, who is more known as a, you know, a, as a receiving tight end. Or then you get deeper in the draft and you have 
you know, guys like Ian Thomas and Troy Fumagalli who are, you know, a little more rounded, but are going to cost you day three picks as opposed to day two picks. And, and realistically, when you look at it, you're going to come into the season with undrafted free agent, Ricky Seals Jones, and, and then a rookie as your top two tight ends. So I don't see much this year. I mean, I guess if they traded back in round one and took a, a Goddard or Hurst, you could you could convince me that's going to be a little bit more of an important position. But just the way that they've uh, identified it this this thus far, I just don't see any reason or any way it can be um, a feature position at least in 2018. Given that the team now has a defensive-minded head coach. Uh, do you think they might be looking to use that first round pick on a defensive player? And if so, which position do you think they're looking to address? I think the biggest thing is they need a cornerback and then they're transitioning back to a four, three defense. I know that's kind of, um, you know, not the term and, and how the defense is run is, is now kind of different than, what it was back in the day when teams were truly 34 or 43 defenses, but they're going to need depth either way at the edge rusher position. Um, I've talked about Harold Landry to them quite a bit. Marcus Davenport's another one that would make sense uh, because if you see the way the Wilkes defenses were built in Carolina, and obviously he was only there as a DC one year, but just, just from a philosophical standpoint it was a lot of first and second round picks on his front seven uh he has two first round linebackers i think it would be bad business to add a third first round linebacker but the way that this draft lines up in terms of player talent it may make sense to invest um in another inside linebacker, if a guy like Roquan Smith or Tremaine Edmonds or even a Rashawn Evans or Leighton Vander Esch were uh, available at 15 based on how the board falls. And if, if you end up getting four or five quarterbacks drafted in the first, you know, 14 picks where you may be able to find a guy that fills out that 43 Mike position. And, and then all of a sudden you have Hassan Reddick and Dion Buchanan playing your um, off-ball outside linebackers, and they're able to use their athleticism and and kind of roam a little bit. Um, and then they do have questions on the interior of the defensive line. They have Corey Peters, uh, who's more of a traditional nose tackle. He'll probably play the one technique, but they're waiting for either one of Olsen Pierre or 2016 first-round pick Robert Kandiche to step in and, and now be that Kwan short in this defense, you know, play that three technique and be aggressive and, and be able to push the pocket. Uh, we'll see We'll see if they find that in uh, in the draft this year. All right, this has been a lot of fun. One final question here. Are there any players who really stand out to you as being the type of player that uh, this this system, uh, either defense or offense, uh, that who is who really might work well with these new systems, or who might be kind of like the quote unquote like Cardinals type of player that this team would want. I think when you look at this draft, um, it's going to tell us that um, moving forward. Uh, try not to cop out here, but I, I really think that they do want to find uh, a a cornerback that matches what Wilkes likes, which is, you know, aggressive, feisty, uh, physical in the run game, obviously can cover. That's the most important thing, but they're going to want a guy that's a, that's a two way corner and not necessarily just a cover corner. Um, so I think a guy in, in, 
Jair Alexander out of Louisville makes a lot of sense because although he's a little smaller than the Wilkes profile we've seen, uh, his physicality matches up with what what Wilkes likes out of his cornerbacks, and he's got kind of that attitude that that those Carolina secondary players played with. Uh, another guy that I talked about earlier is Rashawn Evans, and, and I, I just think he makes sense to kind of be the captain of the the Wilkes defense. Not saying that either of those guys are going to be the pick at 15, but from a from a profile, from a background, how how they look, they both would make sense to me as Wilkes type guys. All right, uh, this was fantastic. Thanks for your insight, and we hope to talk with you again as we get closer to the season. Oh, definitely, Matt. I appreciate the time, and you guys have a great day. We just finished speaking with Seth Cox, the managing editor of Revenge of the Birds, the SB Nation blog for the Cardinals. Here are some of the thoughts I have on our conversation. Cardinals quarterback situation for 2018. Uh, it's basically Sam Bradford on a one-year deal with the team option. Mike Lennon, a two-year deal. Bradford has been reliable when healthy, but has had issues with his health. And then Glennon is not ideal. I don't think he's even ideal as, uh, as an NFL backup. Um, quarterbacks like him, I think are what is wrong with the NFL. So maybe in the quarterback room, he is great at helping the starter prepare. Uh, maybe he's a kind of good glue guy, a good teammate, but he shouldn't be a starter. And I have limited faith in his ability to do anything as an injury fill in, right? So unless what he's providing in the quarterback room as someone who helps the starter prepare uh, is, you know, a lot, then he's not really adding anything. So uh, I think the minute a quarterback proves he can't be a starter, like he cannot win games when called upon, cannot lead an offense to scoring drives, he he should be banished from, from the NFL, right? I think Mike Glennon... Uh, has already proven that he doesn't have the capability to do those things and that he's still in the NFL is, I wouldn't say it's a tragedy, but uh, you know it's an insult, right? It's an insult to the product. It's an insult to players who aren't getting opportunities. It's an insult to fans. Um, the team needs a quarterback of the future. And unless that's Bradford, and I don't think the team uh, can count on him being that, um, you know, unless it's Bradford and it's not Glennon, then they need to look to the draft. Um, in the original mock draft I did in January, I had Baker Mayfield going to the Cardinals at 15. Uh, once Mayfield's hype started to build, I bumped him into the top 10, and then I had Lamar. <coughs> sorry, I had Lamar Jackson going to the Cardinals at 15. Jackson's draft position is really hard to figure out. Uh, I think if there is a quarterback who goes to the Cardinals. Uh, in the first round, it is Lamar Jackson, uh, unless you know something happens with Mayfield or Rosen. But really, I, I think it's Jackson um, who has the highest probability of being there for the Cardinals. Um, but you know, Jackson's draft position is hard to figure out. I had him <clears throat> going to the Cardinals at fifteen and one recent mock. Um, if there's an early quarterback run, I could see him going to Buffalo at twelve. But if he, if he makes it past Buffalo. Now it seems based on the conversation with Seth 
that the team might not even really be looking for him. Um, <clears throat> which I think is, I think it's a little bit weird. I think Jackson would actually be great in the system that it seems Mike McCoy is wanting to run. So if the team wants to run a very, you know, Jags type of of offense where they're running the ball a lot, um, you know, want to throw short to intermediate passes, uh, I mean, isn't that what Jackson would be, I don't want to say ideally suited for, but ideally suited for early in his career? Like something that could help him transition into the NFL. He wouldn't have to throw the ball all that often. And he would have uh, the ability to be a dynamic running threat within that type of offense. So not only would he be able to get a lot of production as a runner, but he would open things up for David Johnson as a runner because the defense always has to take into account the threat of Lamar Jackson running the ball. Like Lamar Jackson in the shotgun with David Johnson next to him. Like that would be fantastic. You know, and then throwing short to intermediate passes to Larry Fitzgerald. And then you have J.J. Nelson and Bryce Butler stretching the field on the outside. I think that's actually really ideal. Uh, And so, you know, if Jackson's there, I think they would be foolish to pass on him. You know, because... I mean, you know, we I've talked about how how wonderful I think he is, you know, before in this series, but youngest Heisman winner in collegiate history, right? Going to be 21 years old for the entirety of his rookie season. Guys like that tend to be drafted in the top five, right? If, if he's available at 15, historically, they would be getting great value there, Um you know, but it seems as if, based on the conversation with Seth, it seems as if they're really not looking, you know, at quarterback in the first round and maybe even just at offense in general. Um, you know, so anyway, Jackson would be good. It seems like that might not happen. You know, maybe they would look for a quarterback in the second round or the third round. Maybe Mason Rudolph, maybe Kyle Laletta. Um, you know, but the team needs a quarterback for the future. It doesn't seem as if they are going to prioritize one in round one because of the guys they have and also because of the shift in offensive philosophy. Um, you know, with the skill positions, this team needs to get younger. You know, so there was a point where I didn't think Lamar Jackson would be available at, uh, at number 15. And at that point, I had Calvin Ridley slotted to the Cardinals in a mock draft. And it makes sense because, you know, at receiver, well, I should say, you know, quote unquote, it makes sense. Not that it's Calvin Ridley (laughs) going to the Cardinals, but that it's a receiver going to the Cardinals. It makes sense in that there's nothing behind Larry Fitzgerald, right? Nothing proven. I love J.J. Nelson as an undervalued option, Um, you know, and I think he worked particularly well in Bruce Arians' system, but Arians is gone. Uh, Still like J.J. Nelson's potential, though. And Bryce Butler is intriguing, but neither one of those guys is is proven, and neither one is really likely to become a a number one, a trusted number one receiver for an offense. So I thought the team might look at receiver in round one, um, you know. But <clears throat> based on the conversations with Seth, doesn't seem as if that's going to happen. But you know, at number fifteen, they would have their pick, I think, at receiver. 
It could be Calvin Ridley, DJ Moore, Cortland Sutton. I don't think I need to talk about why Ridley doesn't seem as if he'd be a great option. I think he has a fairly limited ceiling, although I could be wrong. I've been wrong about receivers before. Uh, DJ Moore, very intriguing based on his combination of size and speed and collegiate production and young age. And then Cortland Sutton. Man, you know, of the three, Sutton is my top option. In the wide receiver rankings I have at Fantasy Labs, he is number one. Uh, I think he'd work wonderfully. And I think it would actually be the ideal time to draft someone like him if they're not looking for uh, for quarterback. You know, maybe Sutton, who knows, maybe Sutton's available in round two. I kind of doubt it, you know, at the, the pick that, that the team might have. But, you know, maybe they would have a chance of grabbing him a little bit later. But Sutton, you know, I think he would be fantastic to pair with Fitzgerald for a year. You know, you could have this this transition of old guard to new guard. It, it is blasphemous, really, to compare anyone to Larry Fitzgerald. Um, you know, but Sutton, he's big, like Fitzgerald, almost exactly the same size. 6'3", 218. That's what Fitzgerald was when he entered the league. You know, so he has similarities in terms of his frame. Very productive in college, just like Fitz was. Fitz was productive on an entirely different uber elite level. I'm not saying Sutton is Fitzgerald, but Sutton has a very strong record of production in college. And I think one thing that's really interesting about Sutton is that he's big enough and athletic enough to play on the outside. But like Fitz now... He could also play in the slot because he has great size-adjusted agility. So in Sutton, I think it is actually possible that the team could be getting a younger, lesser version of Fitzgerald. And if you could pair someone like that with Fitzgerald for his rookie season, he could learn under Fitzgerald. And then when uh, you know Fitz retires, he could take over some of his role. I think that would be a great situation. You know, probably not going to happen, though, because they're not looking, apparently, for a wide receiver in round one. At running back, you know, David Johnson is great. I think the uh, evaluations of him uh, and the concerns that people had about him when he entered the league, it's not to say that they were that they were wrong or misguided, um, you know, because I think it's I think it's wise to be wary of a guy who's super productive uh, at a small school. And, you know, that was David Johnson, so, you know, it makes sense. But based on his ability as a receiver uh, and then his size and his athleticism, you know, those indicators were really important for him entering the league. And then, of course, his draft position. So he's been great. You know, David Johnson has outperformed a lot of the expectations that people had for him. But running backs can fade fast. And he turned 24 years old as a rookie. He turns 27 at the end of this year, and he's in the final year of his contract. Uh, I think this team is closer to rebuilding um, than they are to competing. And if that's the case, there's kind of limited point to having a running back like David Johnson on your roster. You know, I think you trade him, you let him go via free agency. You know, I think at some point, in some way, I think this might be David Johnson's last year with the team. And this is a running back draft. There are guys they could get in the third round, just as they got 
you know, just as they got Johnson in the third round. There, there are guys they could get in the third round who could supplement and maybe eventually replace Johnson. Seth mentioned Rashad Penny, uh, Nick Chubb. One, one thing that's interesting, I don't know if it's actually relevant in any, any predictive way, but uh, Rashad's brother, Elijah, is already on the Cardinals. I don't think that has any bearing in terms of whether the team would or wouldn't bring in Rashad Penny. But, you know, it, it might in terms of like a percentage point of difference. It, it might make some sort of difference. Um, bigger picture, there are some big bodied, very athletic running backs available in the middle rounds of this draft. You know, uh, it will be interesting to see what they do. Um, and I think that will indicate a lot of what they intend to do later with David Johnson. If they draft a runner in, you know, obviously the second round, but in the third round, maybe even the fourth round, I think that means there's a pretty good chance David Johnson will not be with the Cardinals in the future, um, you know, 2019. Um, And for 2018, uh, I think it would be possible that they would either do two things. One, they would look to integrate that new running back with David Johnson, or they would just look to run David Johnson into the ground because they know it's going to be his final year with the team. But as for round one, you know, uh, Seth seemed to think that this is a defensive draft for the team. You know, they have a defensive minded head coach and in round one, uh, they will probably look to the defensive side of the ball. They need help all over edge rushers, Maybe Harold Landry's there. I don't think so, though. But maybe Marcus Davenport could be an option. If they really want to add an edge rusher, I think it is going to be Davenport. I think Landry will already be gone, and I think it would be Davenport. It might be a little bit early to add him. But, you know, if they are just looking to address the need, I think Davenport is the guy closest to the draft range who fits the need. Um I think it might be too early for cornerback. I think some of the really elite guys would be gone, like Denzel Ward would be gone. I doubt Minka Fitzpatrick makes it down there. Um, you know, Joshua Jackson, I think he would maybe even be gone. Um, I think there's a possibility for that. And they need help at linebacker. You know, I could see someone like Rashawn Evans from Alabama. He has good agility and size. He's a five-star recruit. He could be you know, the the force in the middle of that offense that they've been missing, you know, ever since Daryl Washington was suspended several years ago, right? So he could be he could be a guy. And he's more of a traditional kind of true off ball linebacker. Whereas, you know, Dion Buchanan is more of a a hybrid, you know, safety linebacker. Hassan Reddick is more of a hybrid guy. You know, I think if you had someone like Rashawn Evans in the middle of that offense, that could free up Buchanan and Reddick a little bit more to be able to to do the things that they are more accustomed to doing. They would still be playing in that, you know, linebacker type of role, but they would be more kind of slash players. But they would still have a guy in the middle of that offense as a true linebacker. So that might be something they do. Um, I mean, this team, you look at it, it has some pieces on offense. 
but it is now perhaps the worst team in a very tough NFC West. The 49ers, you know, they're ascending with Jimmy Garoppolo and Shanahan. The Seahawks still have Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. You know, the Rams are a division uh, division winning team, and they just got better somehow <laughs> with all the moves they made over the offseason. Mike McCoy at offensive coordinators had an up and down career. It's hard to know what to expect out of him, but this could be David Johnson's last year with the team. It could be Larry Fitzgerald's last year in the league. He's fewer than 400 yards away from passing Terrell Owens for the number two spot behind Jerry Rice for all-time career receiving yards. So there are some things to look forward to in 2018 with this team, but on the whole, it could be it could be a bad year for the Cardinals, um, especially if Sam Bradford suffers an injury, which I don't think there are any betting odds on this uh, on <laughs> at any offshore sports books, but if there were, on whether Sam Bradford would suffer some sort of injury that causes him to miss a game in 2018. Uh, History would be my guide on making that bet. So if Bradford suffers an injury and Mike Glennon has to start some games, I mean, that would be not the worst thing ever, but for Cardinals fans, pretty much the worst thing ever. Um, And it would be sad for Fitz to have to end his career. Sad, but appropriate for Fitz to have to end his career catching passes from Mike Lennon. But if, if something like that happens, uh, and if they really don't hit on draft picks this year, you know, the silver lining would be that next year they would be in a very good position, uh, perhaps, to draft their franchise quarterback of the future. Uh, so, you know, that's something to look forward to for 2019. And that's going to do it for this Cardinals-focused special edition of Road of His Radio be sure to check out the episodes for all the other teams on Rotoviz and the podcast feed. I'm Matt Freeman, Matt F. The Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to this special edition of Rotoviz Radio, the flagship Rotoviz podcast. Special thanks to Hassan Rahim, the producer for this episode, and to Colm Kelly, the assistant executive producer for the podcast channel. Please review the show on iTunes under the Road of His Radio feed. Contact us via email, roadofhisradio gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think. And follow us on Twitter at Road of His Radio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Road of His at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage, roadofhis.com slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. The wait is finally over. Notfest Roadshow is back. Never myself, never myself. Preservation of the
October 13th, Jiffy Lube Live. Featuring Slipknot with Kill Switch Engage, Fever 333, and Code Orange. Tickets on sale now at LiveNation.com. Part of the Metris Warehouse Concert Series. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.